Hey, it's wonderful to have you back listening to this week's episode of the show. We have an exciting episode lined up for you. My guest this week is Emily Ballesteros. She's based in Seattle. She holds a master's degree in industrial organizational psychology and, of course, works in corporate training. So she's just like you and me. And she's launching a book very shortly on February 13th, 2024, called The Cure for Burnout. And I can see that being very successful because that obviously is something which plagues many businesses. And there is, of course, an appetite for that, whether it's keynotes or trainings. And it's something that we're going to talk about today in detail. Emily has been quite successful in launching content or publishing content. She's been featured in media such as the Wall Street Journal and Fox News. And she's also provided trainings for corporations like PepsiCo, Salesforce, and PayPal, among others. Loads to unpack in this week's episode of the show. This is the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hey, welcome to the show. This is the Training Business Podcast, and it's for people like you and me. This is the weekly show for self-employed consultants, trainers, coaches, people like us around the world. And the focus is on the business of you making money from your programs, your workshops, courses, books, keynotes. Now, if none of that is something you've done yet, it doesn't matter. You're in the right place because every Thursday, we've guests on the show to help you wherever you are on this journey. Perhaps you're already an expert or you're thinking of converting what you've done, what you know, into some kind of income stream in the form of the things I've mentioned. Or perhaps you're just fresh out of ideas and you want some kind of inspiration. Either way, you're in the right place. I'm a self-employed trainer. I'm a coach and a published author. I've been employed, self-employed, unemployed, and I know what it's like to have to go out and find clients and build them up into regular paying customers. And every Thursday, there is an episode of the show waiting for you on your podcast platform of choice. So please, right now, without further ado, click on follow or subscribe to be notified of great episodes as they come out. It costs absolutely nothing and takes only a couple of seconds. Emily, hi, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to get to chat with you. And you're in Seattle today, right? I am, yes. Very damp Seattle. <laughs> the reason we're talking is that you have, um, well, a LinkedIn profile, which is interesting. You describe yourself as a trainer, like me and people listening to the show. You're an author, which is great, like me and some people listening to the show. But you're also an expert in the area of burnout management, which is definitely true of many of us listening to the show. Um, let's start with you, first of all. What what gave you the, the inspiration to go into the air arena of working for yourself and, you know, selling your expertise in the form of trainings to, to clients? I feel like, like most people, I was trying to solve a problem for myself first and then recognized this was a problem other people struggled with and tried to find a way to turn around and deliver it. And um, so... When I first started experiencing burnout in about 2018, so pre-pandemic, circumstances were a little bit different. I was working full-time in training and development. I was getting my master's degree in industrial organizational psychology, so I was taking full-time in-person night classes most days of the week after work. I was going from about 6 to 8 p.m., um, and then I was commuting two to three hours a day on public transit, just things you have to do to get get through the beginning of your career. And then um, I was coaching part-time through an online platform. And so I had 
absolutely no spare time. I was experiencing one of the three types of burnout, which is burnout by volume. The volume of things I was trying to pack into a day were just unsustainable. And after years of doing that, um, I started looking forward to getting sick, looking forward to getting migraines. I was very open to getting in a minor accident because I was so incredibly tired and needed a break so bad. And I didn't realize at the time, because burnout was not the buzzword it is today, that that was burnout. And I needed to take a closer look at how much I was trying to do, um, how much I could do sustainably, and then what changes I needed to make. And so I started doing research at first for myself. I couldn't find anything in the burnout space that really applied to my situation and that I could um, apply it to what the work kind of landscape was at the time. And it's changed even more since then, now that things are mostly digital um, or people have hybrid schedules. So um, started to put a program together, a methodology that includes um, mindset, time management, stress management, boundaries, and personal care. Because that is, I did a bunch of market research, talked to as many burned out people as possible. Those are the topics that repeatedly came up. Um, started to put them together, put solutions together, made sure that it worked for me. Um, started working with one-on-one clients, made sure it worked for them. Um, and then from there, because I already worked in training and development, I couldn't deliver one-on-one trainings uh, after a certain point of one-on-one clients, you're kind of maxed out. And so I knew I wanted to go back to training larger groups and transitioned back to facilitating trainings for organizations, but now with a primarily burnout focus. Um, And so from there, I just began marketing my trainings instead of uh, the methodology in a one-on-one capacity and scaled back out to training. So did kind of a loop there, but that is when I got back to where... uh, Back to my roots. So it sounds like you left the corporate world to work for yourself. I did, yes. Any regrets about that? No. I would say that I see the benefit of both. I see people posting and saying, I like the reliability. I like that I just show up. Somebody tells me what to do. I can leave my... Some people can leave their laptop at home. They go home and they don't worry about it. They know what they need to do. Even if they have bad days, they get paid um, and they have more security stability. Um, I also love getting to focus on what I want to focus on. If somebody's difficult, I don't have to work with them. If there's a certain way that I'm doing work and I don't like it, I can just say, I'm never going to do it like this again and never have to do it like that again. I like the freedom that comes with it. Um, but I do see the benefit of, uh, having that kind of stability. It really is a choice and it has to be worth it to you to Mm. responsible for yourself. (laughs) So you've got two programs, which I can see on LinkedIn, burnout management training, uh, 60-minute virtual training, and you've got a self-paced comprehensive burnout course. How did you come up with uh, the constituent elements of of those programs and know exactly what to go into and what to include and how to, you know, provide materials which would uh, supplement the content? Yeah, I did a lot. I'm a course junkie myself. Um, and I went through a lot of people's coaching programs, um, courses and did, got coached by, um, a lot of individuals, whether or not they had an active program for it, or it was just more of a mentoring thing. And I think that by experiencing enough of those, I knew what I liked and what worked for me and what was kind of fluffy or didn't resonate with me, or that I knew when I turned around and was working with very busy professionals, what would or would not resonate with them. Um, Because there's kind of that scale of like very cut and dry and then kind of woo-woo and like slowing down and 
being kind of more reflective. And some people are into that and some people are not. And especially as like a young woman in business, I knew I couldn't go in. I hate saying this. I knew I couldn't lean super heavily into um, kind of some of the softer stuff. And I had to lean more into um, hard skills and explicit action items. Um, Otherwise, I would have kind of put myself in a bucket and might have missed out on some of the people who wanted more cut and dry items. And so um, I think that experiencing enough of other people's trainings helped me understand what a result yielding training or coaching program looks like as far as while still being, while it's, it was still my brand and it felt like something that I would want to go through myself. Cause that's kind of where it gets individual. Otherwise everybody's got the same exact layout. It still has to feel like it's yours. Hmm. So is that your only source of income right now? Your, your training, which you do in person and your online course? Yes. So I would do um, my online training. Um, I have my online course and then I have my um, book and then I do online. I do social media marketing because it just loops in naturally to the business. Mm-hmm. So those are the things that I do right now. So let's talk about some takeaways from your, from your work. Um, you say, and you make a very valid point, and I recognize this in myself and I think many people listening, if they're honest, would say it's true that burnout is a rite of passage in entrepreneurship. Somewhere along the way, we've we've been made to feel or taught to feel that unless we're actually pushing the envelope, uh, working all the hours that we've got, there's no way our business, particularly in the early stages, can be successful. Mm-hmm. And we don't understand how to recognize the limits that we have. And, and as a result, we sometimes lose touch with, with uh, you know, what's important. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean especially when you are completely responsible for yourself, you have to go through this period of panic, honestly, like figuring out first understanding in one way or another that effort does not guarantee results. And you have to figure out where to like channel your efforts so that you can at least get some form of predictability or some form of growth or feel like my efforts amount to something. Um, I think a lot of the beginning of entrepreneurship is putting, throwing effort out in a million directions to see what sticks, see what works, see what social media you need to be on, see how you need to market, see if you need to have a newsletter and a YouTube and a Substack and a Instagram and like, and figuring out where you need to channel that. And then once you do that, it's a lot easier to pick a direction and focus. Um, but in the beginning, it's, it's, it's kind of that, that's the period where a lot of people experience burnout and are like, yeah, this is not worth it. It's the unpredictability is not worth it. And so you have to go through that, figure out what works and you figure out your limits in the process. Um, Because most people, if they're already using, you know, three different platforms to market on, when a fourth one suggested to them, if they're in tune with themselves and their schedule, they'll be like, no, absolutely not. There's no way I'm joining another thing where I need to market on. That doesn't even make sense for me. So it's figuring out where those limits are. You're so right. And I think people can recognize this listening, that sometimes something comes along like a new platform and you think I've got to be on that too. And so we start to spread ourselves very thin and we have to, we feel that we have to repurpose content from multiple platforms. And if we're not on this, we're losing out. And if we're not there, we're doing, not doing this enough. And so uh, we really stretch ourselves and it's hard to, to, to say no to things. Mm-hmm. And I think the older I've got, when I'm able to say no to looking at that phone when it buzzes or uh, looking at this person 
with jealousy and saying, I wish I had that, or I wish I had this platform or this content uh, and recognizing I don't need it. Actually, it's, it's often uh, a hard lesson to learn that you have to say no to things to say yes to the right things. Um, and that brings me to your second point, which is, is that you make business decisions, you say, based upon the lifestyle you want to live, not the money or optics, meaning appearances. Um, tell me about your, your, your thoughts there, because many people might say, well, if I'm starting off working for myself, I don't get to make that decision. Work comes first, not lifestyle. It's the work that makes the lifestyle possible. It sounds like your point is counterintuitive where you say, first of all, I want to focus on the life I want with for myself and for my family and loved ones. And then I'll, I'll uh, shape a business around that. Where's that yeah. come from? Um, I am going to sound like an anti-business guru. Um, say, <laughs> Go for it. Guys usually here. Um, a lot of people are saying, you know, your monthly goal should be something that scares you, that intimidates you. I, in order to be sane in the beginning of my business and not constantly be in a state of fear, had to figure out what the lowest amount I could make was month to month in order to just pay my rent and buy my groceries and feel kind of stable and, you know, have like a little bit of savings. Um, and if I was doing that, I was killing it. I was at peace. I was like, okay, I did it. Like I just needed to make enough to do this and everything else I make is just a bonus. And from kind of starting with that mentality, I always knew I, I had a lower bar for feeling secure and feeling like I could, I had a lot of freedom past that point. Um, whereas I think if I had started with that, I need to be making this much per month. And it was a really lofty goal. I would always feel behind. I would never feel like enough was enough. And um, I would have overcommitted in a lot of areas where I was able to say no to things because I was like, well, I already met my minimum. So I don't have to say yes to this crazy flying all the way like around to all these places and doing this stuff if I don't want to. Um, and so it depends on lifestyle. I also uh, am a dink, which I don't know if you guys use that phrase, but dual income, no kids. So I can make that kind of decision. Dual uh, income, no kids. Okay. That's interesting. A dink. Dink. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So because I'm a dink, I can <laughs> make decisions like that. Whereas if you have a lot of things relying on you, um, then you might have to make a different business decisions. But I think that I have an aversion to, um, taking on additional responsibility because I understand how much responsibility I have in my professional life. Um, and so we don't even have plants. We don't, I don't want anything else I have to take care of during the day because I enjoy taking care of my business. It's funny how in a, in a sense, perhaps an anti-career sense, I've seen that increasingly among people much younger than me. They're more determined to focus on experiences than they are upon income. And so they're more likely to travel the world and they'll say, I'll do just enough to actually get by or to make a living that literally allows me to live, to live the life I want. I'm not interested in working a hundred hours per week. Uh, yeah. I don't want to get this title, which forces me to, to compromise on my lifestyle. Maybe it's that growing up, I wasn't that confident. And I felt that people had to have this, I had to have this career path ahead of me. And it meant going from this to this, to this, to this. It seems as if many people nowadays, perhaps it's the Instagram generation, they're not willing to compromise on on their their lifestyle vision. And so money or, or career title isn't the reward it used to be. Have you seen yeah. that? Absolutely. I, I think that that is um, definitely something that is, uh, I think, social media driven. I think that 
by seeing more, people are kind of having, they have a better idea of what they can strive for. And some people who don't actually know what they want get completely lost in in all of the different options. And they think, oh, this person's telling me I should want the car, I should want the house, I should want the title. And because they're not really sure what they want, they accept it as I should have these things or want these things. Um, and I think that the, the more clear you are on what a good life looks like for you, the easier it is to aim for that and the less you realize you might really need. Um, and like they say, like having money, money just makes you more of yourself. So you are, you're, you just have more power to be more yourself. And I think that as my financial stability grew, I just kept doing the things I like doing and they're very simple. I just like to have my slow coffee in the morning and do my little New York times, like Wordle and uh, crossword puzzles and stuff. And then I like to do the work that I like to do for a set amount of hours. I try to keep, well, it just depends on if I'm traveling for training or if I'm doing my own type of work, but do my work. And then at night, I like to um, like cook dinner with my show on in the background and then read. I love reading. I'm a huge reader. And all of those things are really simple and inexpensive. I did those when I had zero money and I did that when I had a good amount of money and that doesn't change. And I think that knowing whatever that looks like for you takes a lot of weight off of your shoulders of, I should have these things and I won't be happy till I have the car. Like I'm perfectly happy with just my Kindle. And that's a nice message to hear as an antidote to this uh, Instagram lifestyle where people feel that unless I'm a consultant to, you know, a hundred thousand people, or I, unless I've got these big blue chips in my client portfolio, unless I'm traveling the world doing keynotes every single week, then I'm not really successful as a consultant. Yeah, absolutely. And those, I think that you have to experience it. You almost have to reach a certain level of, um, I don't even want to say prestige, but I, I feel like getting the things that you have always strived for because being interesting as a currency and having those accolades is kind of its own form of currency. Once you have them, then it's like, oh, uh, this was cool. I don't know if this is actually the lane I want to be in. Or like I'm on TikTok and I have uh, like 160,000 followers or something there. And it took getting to that point what that a lot of people really, really want, they really strive for to be like, this is just okay. I actually think I would delete TikTok if I didn't already build a base there just because I it's not what I thought it was going to be, but you have to get there and do it to realize I actually don't, maybe I do or don't actually want to be doing this. Um, the, the hard thing is a lot of people, it's really hard to get there. Um, and, but once you do lots of clarity. And you mentioned TikTok, which leads us to the, the third point today, which is the, the inability to establish boundaries. And again, if you're working in a corporate environment or working for other people, those in many respects are established for you. This is your job. This is where you sit. This is what you do. These are your clients. This is uh, what you're working on. But when you're working for yourself, you're, you're almost looking for things to do, or you can be. So you become a marketer and a salesperson and a content writer and a, a program designer. Um, and often that takes over other things. So you, you mentioned uh, in, in, in notes to me that you think that you know anyone who typically is fully responsible for themselves, sometimes has a lack of boundaries. And so what we do is we check our email. Um, even on weekends, we're in the middle of a movie uh, with family and we check our email. I'm putting my hand up here. And so there's no separation of life and work. And that leads to drain. Even when the money's good, even when you enjoy the travel, um, you're actually um, 
you know, just, I suppose, cutting your own throat in a way because you're, you're not able to say no to things. And I mentioned that the ability to say no has literally helped me. Um, there are times I regret having said no to things, but mostly I don't. So tell me about the struggles that you see from entrepreneurs or anyone who's responsible for themselves and the seemingly uh, strange inability to say no or to establish boundaries. Yeah, it's kind of like how I mentioned at the beginning, the benefit of a traditional job is just that there is more predictability around, I work from this hour to this hour, and this is the reward for that. You have to create your own structure that you determine is enough because you have to know where enough is so that you can finish each day feeling like I did what is technically enough. Because otherwise, if you don't know what that is or what that looks like, even if that enough is just, I'm, these are my three priorities for the day. Once I get them done, I I can uh, kind of feel relieved. Um, You're, it's never going to feel like enough. And that's what leads you to, you know, working up until the point of dinner, or like you said, checking your email when you're out with friends or family, or you're doing something with friends or family. Um, And it is constant. That's where that mindset piece comes in, where your mindset and how you manage yourself internally, if you're telling yourself all day, there's more to do. If I don't get to this, I'm behind. Um, I'm not taking this and like every opportunity and you're managing yourself and your experience in that way, then that's going to show externally. You're always going to be frazzled. You're never going to feel fully relaxed and rested. And like you're at peace, it, you're going to miss out on things in your life that you supposedly wanted to work for yourself in order to have, you wanted to have more freedom. And then you actually have less freedom because you have to find parameters for yourself. (laughs) So you end up actually creating a, like a mini prison for yourself where uh, you become the, the, uh, the prisoner and the jailer at the same time you're yes. you're building i think there's a pink floyd song which talks about um, having a walk on war, war part in a war or a leading role in a cage and uh, mm-hmm. sometimes we think i've got to leave this job because it's not giving me the satisfaction i need or or independence i need and then we get buckets of independence and we can't run ourselves yeah, absolutely. And we do what looks good instead of what feels good. And so when you're on when you're on your 10th flight for the month and you're and you you feel this horrendous that and you get another email inviting you to somewhere else, you know you should say no. Like we know where our limits are. We just usually disregard them because there's this sense of um there's there's an additional sense of fear and scarcity when you are completely responsible for yourself that if you let that drive you instead of lifestyle like i said like uh, prioritizing just the whatever it is that is a good life for you then you'll work yourself into not even liking your job like you created it in this way so that you could enjoy it and now you don't even get to enjoy it because you abandon that for ambition yeah you, you might think well until I'm flying regularly, until I have, you know, this um, X thousand mile card or I'm in business class, I'm not successful. Until I'm uh, literally, you know, chasing uh, appearances or keynotes and I'm mentioned here and mentioned there, I'm not successful. But what you're saying is, is that might look rosy, but it's, it can lead to problems, including health scares, um, loss of connection with what's really important, and sometimes just complete unhappiness, drain and dissatisfaction over time. Absolutely. If you like what you're doing, don't do things that make you hate it. <laughs> but- <laughs> <laughs> Great advice. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard to do. Really hard to do when yeah. you're staring at a shiny accolade in the face or you're staring, you know, an invitation from an incredible group in the face. And the better you get, the harder the opportunities are to turn down. Um, but if you're going to have longevity, then you do have to be selective. And this depends on where you are in your journey. Like I completely understand in the beginning of my training, I was like, I'll do a training for $250 for like, you know, anybody anywhere. And then have gotten to develop since then to be more selective. But even, even in the beginning, I wish I could go back and just, you know, reiterate those things for myself. So I wasn't spreading myself so thin. <laughs> but but this is what gives you credibility to train people on the subjects that you do. So you've got two courses just to wrap up here. Burnout Management Training, which is a 60-minute virtual training for groups, and a burnout management course, self-paced comprehensive burnout course online. I do, yes. Um, and I have a book coming out on February 13th. It's called The Cure for Burnout. Um, and I actually have a prettier one that I'll hold up for you. Um, and I, it, it's available uh, a lot of places, but pretty much everywhere online. So if you look online, uh, it is available everywhere. And um, I believe at this point I'm making the business decision, but I think that I will be discontinuing my course at the point that I release the book, just because there is a good amount of crossover and I want to create a course that is an entirely new material uh, so that people aren't entering the course when they could just read the book. So. Gotcha. Okay. That'll be supplementary, I guess, to the book. Yes. Fantastic. Emily, um, all links mentioned today will be over on the episode for this week's conversation. Emily Ballesteros, thank you so much for being my guest today on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It was wonderful talking to you. Huge thanks to Emily for being my guest this week on the show. And thanks to you for listening. You'll find all episodes on either trainingbusiness.com or on your podcast platform of choice, Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, etc. every Thursday without fail. And I look forward to having you back again next week, next Thursday. In fact, there is, of course, a bunch of things to find on trainingbusiness.com, including the links mentioned in this week's episode. Either way, look after yourself. Keep training, keep coaching, keep leading, keep earning. Bye for now. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. See you next time.